walking through our this little short, gorgeous story of Ruth. And you can turn to page 222. And if you're visiting, as you're turning there, just to re- review what's happened in chapter 1, uh, Naomi, actually, as you'll see, it's a story about Naomi because of the way she's described at first and then how it returns to her at the, in chapter 4. In fact, when it talks about her sons in chapter 1, it uses a rare word hardly ever used by to describe a grown son, her yell at her children when they die. Um, and then it, at the very end, Ruth has a child and that child, same word, is put in her lap. So that's the bookends of this, this uh, little story. Uh, she u- loses her yelled, and now she's restored with a new yelled, her granddaughter. Um, now, in between, in chapters 2 and 3, it's all about Ruth and Boaz and how their faithful love helps change Naomi's life. But it's about what Naomi lost and what Naomi got back. So in this first chapter, may rec- those of you who were here know, I mean, if you're uh, unfamiliar with it, they leave Israel, Naomi, her husband, Bimelech, and then her two sons, Malon and Kilion. So when she, Elimelech, when she gets to, they, they have to leave Israel because of a famine, they go to Moab to get some food, and while they're there, first thing that happens, she loses her husband. Elimelech dies. Then her sons marry. Malone marries Ruth, and Kilion marries Orpah. They live for 10 years, and then both of her sons die as well. It's the most devastating, catastrophic thing that could happen to anybody, a woman. The loses the only ones that are able to care for her husband and her her sons. Then they hear that the famine is over and they're going to return back to Israel. She tells the two daughter-in-laws, you need to stay here, stay with your people, stay where it's safe. Can't guarantee anything for you going back to Israel. Orpah takes the advice, goes with the wisdom, goes back home. Ruth clings to her and says, no way. Your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. So they return to Israel, and there's kind of the echo of Ruth's very encouraging statement about the greatness of your God that echoes, even as it says, Ruth the Moabitess came home. And then we hear at the end of chapter 1, the barley harvest was begun. So chapter 2. Let's read together. First off, in chapter, verse, verse, there's a little parenthesis, and then we hit the action. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, means a man of standing, of, of means, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So he's a relative of her husband. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. I'm going to go and... and and glean uh, for those who will let me do it. And she said to her, go 
my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also put out, pull out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So instead of these full bundles, he's like, Pull some of that out and leave that for her. You know, give her a lot of extra. Gleaning was hard work. They, they, they've uh, compared it to collecting aluminum, aluminum cans to try to get money. It's just that hard, the leftovers. And he's trying to make it better and easier for her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. It's like 30 pounds and you'd normally come home with about a pound or two. Normal, normal reaping, and she was just gleaning. So this is amazing. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. That's the reading of God's word. So you see our title, uh, Take Refuge Under God's Wings, taken from verse 12. And I've got three ways or three aspects of coming under his wings that are laid out in this passage. And this is kind of a message, it's it's a message, uh, an exhortation to you to take refuge under his wings because of his wonderful providence. Take refuge under his wings. With a bold faith, take refuge under his wings. And within the community of love, take refuge under his wings. I told you this verse 1 is a break in the story to tell us about Boaz. And if you're a hearer in that society, you would realize, oh, wait a minute, a relative this guy, this guy might do them some good. This is an amazing connection. And he's got means. He's got standing in the community. So our interest is aroused. It, it creates suspense. We wonder what's going to happen. And then she goes to glean and without even knowing it. She didn't even know who Boaz is. She didn't know what field she's in. And, well, she does know and probably ask permission to come to this field, but she doesn't know who it is. She just happened to come in Boaz's field. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> in fact, the writer is actually calling it an accident to underscore the fact there are no accidents. It's really a cool literary tool he's using here. To, it's actually one of the key statements in the book. He's actually saying, look at what God does here. She happens into the field of Boaz, and guess who just happens to show up? Boaz. So cool. So here's this worthy man related to Elimelech. She wanders into his field. He shows up. Wow. There's a wonder in the sense of the narrator's part. And he's showing that God is in control of the whole thing. And what's amazing about this is there's no voice There's no special revelation. It's just everyday people going about their everyday lives. And God is working out his magnificent purposes in those everyday events. And brothers and sisters, it is the same with us. There are no insignificant moments in your life. Not one. God doesn't, you know, have part of your day as under his care, but a lot of it's not under his care or this week or that month or that year. Uh, Even before you were a believer, he had his love set upon you before the world began. All your moments are under his direction and care for his purposes as to his calling you to himself and using you as he chooses 
We think nothing of little things that happen every day, but God is always using these ordinary things to advance his purposes, even in great disappointment and loss. You think of it, this first chapter, famine. They go to Moab and two sons to Moab. She loses her husband. Her sons marry. She loses them. She comes back. Eventually, Ruth becomes the great, great, grandmother of David the greatest king in the Old Testament and the one for whom Jesus is named he's called the son of David you kind of think wow did he go to a lot of trouble to fetch Ruth (laughs) I mean really all this is a part of his plan and in our case Within the context of our relationship to Christ, all of God's purpose is united to Christ. It's united to the gift of his son. And Paul argues this in Romans 8. He says, if he gave his son for you, he's not going to withhold anything from you. He's going to freely give you all things. And in that context, it means All things that will promote your knowing Christ and being like Christ and manifesting Christ. And in fact, in Romans 8, he says, not only was he going to freely give you all things, but everything that happens in your life is going to work together for that purpose. And that's why he can say there, there's nothing that can stand against you. Do you get that? Nothing can stand against you. God's purpose to conform you to Christ? God's purpose that you might know and worship and love him and know more of his presence and manifest it? Nothing's going to stand in the way of that. I think we have to have two lenses to see our lives. I think of my contacts. I've got one contact that helps me see in a distance. I've got another contact that I read with. In the same two eyes, right? But, and it just works. I don't know how it works, but if I'm driving the car, this one kicks in. If I'm reading, this one kicks in. It's just the way it works. But we need these two lenses to see our lives honestly. I would call one the narrow angle lens so that we tell it exactly as it is on the ground. How it hit me, how unhinged I was, how shocked I was, how devastated I was. Honest, like the psalmists, who will spend dozens of lines of poetry describing in detail the pain and the suffering that they are experiencing before God. Okay, narrow angle lens. So that we are able also to be, to have days like, Alexander and the horrible, terrible, very bad, not good, very bad day, right? <laughs> so we, uh, we have those days and we're honest about it. But even as it's happening right in the midst of it, and we're, we're not in any way denying the reality and the pain of it, we see it also with wide angle lens to believe That the purpose and presence and kindness of God is involved here. And I'm purposely using the word kindness here. Because sometimes we, you know, we we, we say, I know God loves me. 
But we also kind of think, I wish he wouldn't love me so much, you know, to put me through this pain. But somehow for me personally, kindness gets through some of my defenses. Darwin, in the midst of this loss and this disappointment, can you read the kindness of God in this? That's a hard read, you know. It's a hard translation. But it is kindness. In fact, this, this word that's so common in Scripture to describe God, it's a word that if you said it right in Hebrew, it'd sound like you're coughing almost. Chesed, okay? C-H-E-S-E-D. It's the steadfast love of God. In fact, we'll look at it a little bit here and how it's manifested among his people as well. But that steadfast kindness of God. In fact, the New American translates it as his loving kindness. Now, that's a wonderful thing to associate with my devastation. The kindness of God. So keep them both. Because it's interesting, we can sound super spiritual either way. We can sound super spiritual and say, oh, nothing bothers me. I'm not hurt. It doesn't matter. I just praise the Lord. You know, and you kind of are a little creeped out by people that say, I'm just praising the Lord. You know, and you think, you don't get it. (laughs) You're not admitting how much you're hurting. But then there's another super spiritual thing. That you, when you try to talk to somebody and say, well, you know, God is in the midst. I don't want to hear what God is in the midst of. I'm suffering. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm, I'm so spiritual. I'm going to really get into my pain. And I don't want any admission of what God might be doing. I'd say neither of those is super spiritual. We have to fully admit the devastation of life because it's real. And then admit that God's grace and mercy is in the midst of our devastation for his purposes. So I have to begin to see that the things that happen to me, good and bad, are just one more scheme on God's part to do me good. Think of that. One more conniving scheme on God's part to do me good, right? One more pathway to do me good. One more instrument. One more set of circumstances to do me good. That's what he does. That's that's the glorious thing of entrusting yourself into the wings of God under his refuge. That he will be a safe and good providence for you. Psalm 23, 6 is really true. I, I said it enough in my life. Memorized it as a kid way before I ever believed it, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Surely, certainly, absolutely write it down. This is what's going to happen to you now. Goodness and mercy. When I first used this illustration, it was fresh and everybody knew it, but now you forgot it and you younger people don't even remember it. But in the early Verizon commercials, The guy would walk out and this huge crowd of people would follow him wherever he would be. You know, if he's in the city, they're all crowded there. And if he's out in the country, they're all crowded there. And it represented what was big and beautiful at that time for us and knew you're connected to everybody in the United States. No extra cost. (laughs) Of course, like Kay's daddy said, nothing's free. You're paying for it. I guarantee you. But 
The idea was that here is your network, and every person in the United States is connected to it. That's his network of loving kindness to you, his mercies to you. And you turn around any day, and they're all there crowding around you to give themselves to you. And in this life, many of them are always, they're spiritual. And sometimes the physical ones stand in the background and you lose things and there's death and there's disease and there are all these things. But even in the final day and the resurrection and the new creation, those physical ones that have stood in the background, they come forward as well. And you receive a new body and you live in the new creation forever. They're all there. It's just who's coming at you. Believe. Take refuge under his wings because of his wonderful providence in your life. Then take refuge under his wings with a bold faith. You know, if Orpah followed the sensible advice of Naomi and avoided the busy street, it looks like Ruth threw herself into oncoming traffic. (laughs) Alex, I'll take destitute mother-in-law and alien land for $500. Here's the fascinating thing. For Ruth, it was the only safe place to be. Isn't that beautiful? On paper... It was the most foolish thing you could do to abandon family and land, to go to a place where you could easily be abused. But for Ruth, this is my safe place to entrust myself to this God. She had everywhere to go from the world's standpoint, a much better place to go. But in her mind, there was no place to go but to put herself under the care of Yahweh, the God of Israel, to run for refuge under his protective wings. I think that though Naomi suffered this most catastrophic bitterness with the loss of husband and sons, somewhere in there she displayed a character and a faith and a hope that captivated Ruth. Or or maybe it was uh, Malon and Kilion, her her husband and brother-in-law. Maybe their faith, a connection of all of them. But whatever it was, she ain't going back home. She's got a new home, a new God, a new family, a new community, and a new destiny. She's lashing herself to Yahweh, no matter what, as she says in chapter 1. And you see here, this, we've got to connect these two statements. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. That's how she's saying, don't send me away. I'm going to take shelter under the wings of Yahweh. And nobody's stopping me. I'm not staying on this God-forsaken island. This is a rescue ship, and I'm getting on it. (laughs) That's how she saw this. And maybe this can help you and me in our commitment to God. Because we think of commitment as, you know, resolve and courage. And for sure, it is these things. It becomes these things. But... Where does bold faith begin and end? Taking refuge under the protective wings of Yahweh. That's where faith begins. 
You and I come to God. We come to Christ for safety, for rescue. It's called salvation. He's called a savior, right? You see him. I know you hadn't literally done this, but I'm saying we must see him like this mother eagle spreading her wings of protection. Like little eagle chicks, we run under the powerful wings for safety. We come to him for refuge. We come to grips with our own heart that's bent in so many wrong ways. Filled with so many ugly desires and motives. I realize how committed I am to my own happiness and well-being. To the exclusion of others. My life is riddled with a fear of thought about death. Or maybe a fear of thought about judgment. What's going to happen there? Guilt over how many things I've failed others in. Fear over success. Fear over failure. Oh, my many problems throughout my life with different relationships and intimacy and acceptance. And it comes out in all kinds of ways of anger and substance abuse and immorality. You know, as Paul said, you know, your fundamental issue, Darwin, is you live for yourself. I mean, even if even if you are living in some way for humanity or you're living for God that you've made up in your own mind by nature, we simply don't love this God of radical sacrifice. This God who's radically committed to give himself away. We kind of hold back from that and think, <laughs> I can't go there. I can't live that kind of life. I can't have that kind of love. Where's my regard for God? Where's my admiration for God? Where's my gratitude for God? Where's my honor to God? Where's my giving myself up to God's will? One of the most, I say this in the new members class, but one of the most excruciating verses I ever came to years ago was when Jesus in John 15 said, they hated me without cause. And I thought, that's me. I've ignored you without cause. I've not loved you without cause. I've not wanted your word without cause. I've not prayed with that. The problem is I don't like God. You see, that helps us because it's amazing after all that and that realization, here is God with his wings spread open for you. Come to me for forgiveness. Come to me for such cleansing that you will walk into my favor forever. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've thought. We'll get to work on that. But you'll come under my favor, my protection forever. That's the offer to anybody and everybody, no matter what you've been or done. That's bold faith to Rest in forgiveness and acceptance. You know, it's your evil suspicion of God that keeps you from God. I, uh, I love to see a child with a sucker because many times I'll, they're, you know, really going to town on the sucker and I'll say, as if I really wanted it, sucker that she's had in her mouth, you know. But anyway, I'll say, can I have that sucker? And, of course, every time it's like, mm-mm. 
Sometimes, mm-mm, you know, moving away, it's like, this guy might snatch it out of my hand. I don't know what he might do, right? And boy, we're like that with God. Can I have your life? Can I have your whole life? Will you put it in my hands? Will you come under my wings? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I don't know what you might do with me. I don't know what you might do to me. I don't know what I would have left. What will be my losses? What will I not get to do anymore? What will I have to do because of you? I don't know what you might do. Our evil suspicions. But how glorious that our wings, you might say, are formed by the cross of Jesus. shadow of the wings of God we see as though the wings are there and in front of those wings are this is this cross that demonstrates what these wings mean what kind of love these wings represent and I love this hymn now this word for years I didn't know what it meant, but I just sang it, you know, like we all do. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. F-A-I-N. When's the last time you used fain in a sentence? Never, right? When you look it up, it says, I'm happy to take my stand. Beneath the cross of Jesus. I'm so pleased and happy. Like the privilege, that's what I choose. To beneath the cross of Jesus. To be under those wings. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. A home within the wilderness. A rest upon the way. From the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. So, with a little bit of a pun. Talking about your life. Give that sucker away. I still love Brian's statement several years ago when he was talking about the sheet in the back, you know, and said, tear that sucker out and put it in the offering plate. It's one of my great quotes in the world. I love it. I'm glad you said that. I think it was a wonderful way to put it, actually. But put your life in his hands. Put your life in his hands. He'll do all kinds of things with it. It'll be hard things. But the life that he gives you back over time that increases in its outward focus and its freedom and its joy and its ability to minister to others and then to end with him forever. And so finally, in his community of steadfast love, because it says in 220, talking about blessed I think he's ta- she's talking about, I agree with these commentators who say, she's really talking about um, Boaz, that it's his kindness, his chesed, has not forsaken the living of the dead. She spoke in the ch- first chapter about the daughters uh, serving the living and the dead because they loved her and helped those her dead husband and dead uh, children, uh, dead sons, to minister to Naomi. So she served the living and the dead, and so did Boaz in being kind. But you see, this chesed is 
extended into the community. And here's the amazing thing, brothers and sisters, that when we take refuge under his wings, then we become, in a sense, a part of those wings to each other. You know, and that, that's how we're loving each other to, yeah, I'll, yeah I, I will put you under my wings. I'll care for you. I'll love you. I'll call you. I'll visit you. I'll remember you. I'll pray for you. I'll serve you. I'll, I'll put you under my wing. We're not sitting looking at each other like this, right? Mm-hmm. Those wings are for me, you know. Uh, yeah, I know I'm under wings, but no. You start experiencing the wings. That's not easy, and I'm not saying it's just automatic, but the more we delve into his love and understand it, the more we like Boaz, and then even Ruth herself, as it's said of her kindness in chapter 3, her chesed. So here they are, the chesed of Boaz and the chesed of Ruth, ministering to this bitter and broken A woman who suffered such bitterness and brokenness, Naomi. And so that's what we have the opportunity to be and to do. So that rather than being an implosion of fear, which marked my life for sure, by God's grace, you become the active hands-on manifestation of the wings of God to others like they were. And we become a community that shelters one another and then we open out to others and say come under the shelter of God and it begins with being under our shelter we we are the hands-on shelter and wings of God for you come and join us what what a what a wonderful way to see ourselves as an extension of the chesed of Yahweh and God uh, uh, the, the God of Israel. And how interesting that as we, as you read uh, the Chalmers Institute out of Covenant College about uh, poverty, that what people in poverty are missing is relationship. Relationship. Connection to people. Connection to specific economic help and recovery assistance and training and life management. A relationship that brings encouragement and a change of perspective and transforming love and support. Commitment to stick with them and see them through. They need relationship. Of course, because the image of God, who is relationship, that's what he's going to bring us into. And of course... In our addictions, in our isolation and secrecy and substance abuse or pornography, it's because we are isolating ourselves, cutting ourselves off from relationship, right? And the opening up of relationship, though shocking, is the whole future. Interesting, Larry Crabb years ago changed his uh, organization from Christian counseling ministry to Christian community ministry. Because he saw nobody changes outside of community. Even what you do with the counselor in private has to be fleshed out and manifested and worked itself out in community. And that's where change, change occurs. So, you know, the dog whisperer, Cesar Milan, I've only seen a little bit of it. But it's so interesting to see how he uses. Now, you'll love this. I'm comparing you to dogs now. Good. Uh, 
I don't know. I just remember at the end he was calling me a dog. Uh, <laughs> um, but he, at the time that I saw this, he uses this whole pack of 30 dogs, of which he's the acknowledged leader of the pack, right? And yes, he's working with that dog, and it's many times extreme behavior problems. But he only does it because of the interaction of the whole pack along with his individual care of that dog. That's what changes the dog. We're so much like that. See yourself in this way. Come under his wings to receive his providence, to have this bold faith of trusting him, and then to continue to allow him to work in your life so that you more and more entrust yourself to the freedom and the danger and the unknown of giving yourself to the people of God and to others. That's a scary thing, giving up your own time, your own agenda, your own things to open yourself up. Lord, let me be wings. Let me be your wings to others. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you give us the great privilege of being a community of the wings of God. A community manifesting the chesed love of God. Thank you, Lord, that when we, can, we bring a visitor into our community, whether it's a small group Bible study or a fellowship or worship itself, that just like that Verizon guy, we, we have a whole community behind us, a whole community that by your grace will reach out and embrace the visitors who come, the new people. We'll push through any kind of fear of an, an unknown and Lord will push through everything to, to make ourselves as a, a part of the wings that take these people in under your care. Oh Lord, help us be a manifestation of the refuge of God for your glory and honor. Amen.